Industry Under Pressure. Innovation in its finest hour. This is the Oil & Gas Technology Podcast, where sharp minds reveal the brilliance and sheer determination turning great ideas into new realities. Hear about how it happens in real life with your host, Michael O'Sullivan. The views of the host are expressly his own and should not be construed as the views of any other corporation, consortium, governing body, or interplanetary federation. All right, folks, welcome back to another death-defying episode of the Oil & Gas Tech Podcast, brought to you by the good people at Cognite, right here on the Oil & Gas Global Network. We do love our sponsors here at OGGM because, as I always say, without them, there is no us. So here is a quick message from our friends at Cognite. Uh, This is what they would like you to know. Imagine your company fully digitalized, transformed, and sustainable. Cognite helps you make data do more for faster, safer, more sustainable industrial operations. Learn more at, and you probably thought I was going to say, Cognite.com, which of course you can go there, but if you really want to get to the good stuff, then you got to go to MakeDataDoMore.Cognite.com. That is a special special spot on their website that they've uh, set up so that you can really zero in on some of the cool stuff that they're doing right now. And, and these guys are having an impact on the industry, so you, you got to check them out. Also, before we get to our guests today, and I do have some good ones, and we're going we're gonna to be talking about this uh, pipeline cybersecurity situation that we've had going on here recently. But first, I got to say something about OGGN, which, as you know, the Oil & Gas Global Network is, uh, or hopefully you know this, uh, and if you don't know it, then now you're going to know it. We are the largest podcast network for the oil and gas industry, um, and not only were we already the biggest one, but now we're, we're, we're becoming even bigger the biggest one because we're continuing to put out new shows uh, at a breathtaking pace. And uh, we've got some new ones that are, depending on when you listen to this exactly, we've got a couple, two or three others that uh, either either just launched or, or they're about to launch. And uh, so you, you got to check those out if, if you like our other shows. One of them, uh, my favorite of the new ones, happens to be Oil & Gas Digital Doers, which is also hosted by yours truly. And we really, uh, and that one's sponsored by Top Coder. And we we envisioned that one as kind of a sister show to this, to the tech show. So if you like the tech show, then you got to check out Digital Doers because that's where we're, 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 we're focusing. Not so much on the tech itself, but we're hearing from people who are actually getting digital done. So there's a lot of good stories and insights and guidance from people in the industry who are, who are making progress and seeing value. And uh, we've been at this digital transformation thing for a while, so we ought to be seeing some results, and we are. So check out Oil & Gas Digital Doers for that. Also, there's a couple of other, um, uh, other new shows. One is called Energy Scale-Ups, and that one is being hosted by Mr. Jose Salis, and it's sponsored by Halliburton Labs. And it's, and it's all about startups growing into uh into uh, growing up into real grown-up companies uh and and making their mark on the world and so check that one out it's just it's just getting started i think it's just coming out the gate right now there's another new one uh, called and this one is really this one is interesting as well uh, but it's a little different and it's called journey to the energy c-suite and so if you're one of the if you're somebody 
in the industry who say, let's say you you know you you've been in your career for for quite a while, and and maybe you're in some sort of a senior leadership position. And what you're really thinking about is how do I get, how do I become a top executive? And Journey to the Energy C-Suite is is about that. It's hosted by Ryan Sanford. He has been um, in in and around that world for quite some time in terms of uh, career development and coaching. And he knows a lot of really, uh, really fantastic senior level people so uh and that one is being is being sponsored by the university of oklahoma um in particular price uh business college uh is sponsoring that so journey to the energy c-suite check that one out it's coming out soon also uh energy scale-ups and of course oil and gas digital doers and uh you didn't have to write all that down because you can just go to our website, OGGN.com. You can find out about what all the shows are. You can link directly from there to whatever your favorite podcast platform is. Also, uh, you can read a little bit about uh, the backstory on all of your favorite hosts and find out uh, who we are and where we came from. So, you know, if you got two minutes in between Zoom calls and you need to give your brain a break, go check that out and uh, it'll be fun. I promise. Okay, and that does bring us around to our guests today. I have two, I have two fantastic guests today um, joining with me. We are, we are in the remote configuration today, which means we're not all in the same place. So I always have to remind our listeners to uh, cut us some slack because we're going to try to have a nice, uh, nice natural conversation and not uh, talk over each other. But I do have two, uh, two uh, folks from, from Avanade today. And we are, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we are going to be talking about this uh, pipeline cybersecurity thing. And not just about that, but really more broadly about that topic and what it means to the industry. So I have, I have uh, Brandon Nolan and I have Thor Schuler. Um, Brandon, I'm going to start. Uh, Thor's already been through this before, so uh, he's, uh, he already knows the routine. So Brandon, let's start, let's start with you. Thanks for uh, both of you guys. Thanks for making time today to, to be on the show. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate the opportunity here. Uh, yeah, well, it's uh, you know, it's it, it is it is uh, uh, one of those things that is often sought after and and, uh, <laughs> and idealized. Now, this is it's good. So we, uh, um, so Brandon, uh, you and I haven't really met before, apart from the the chit chat that we we just had. So I know, and you're in Dallas, right? Isn't that? Yeah, uh, I'm in the I'm in the Dallas area. Yeah, um, um, and so we'll we'll do the weather comparison here in a minute. But um, so I know you're leading uh, like uh, like digital identity stuff at Avanade. You've been there for a few years, um, and uh, security, identity management, that kind of stuff. Um, what else? Uh, and that's kind of all I know about you because we haven't met before. So what else do you want people to uh, to uh, know before we get started? Um, I think it, relevance here. There's a lot of hats that we we all wear sometimes. Um, uh, but for for the topic today, the um, the thing that I've been working on the most over the last four years is I would say uh, compromise recovery strategy and partnering with our clients and helping them recover from um, from from those events that they have happen. Well, that um, you, you must have a. <laughs> There must be no end to the good stories that you can tell, uh, having having been doing that the last couple of years. There is um, there is this one thing that I know about you because I because I read it somewhere. I think you described yourself um, as a staunch optimist who stays curious and loves people. 
<laughs> so, so the first thing I have to say about that is you're the first security guy that I've ever met who says that he loves people. So that's, that's already very, very unusual, but, and to be an optimist. So to be in security and to be an optimist, I mean, these, these are unusual things. How did you get to be, uh, <laughs> to get to be that way? Oh man. Um, I think that it, it a, a lot of that, I have to give credit to my wife being a great coach. She's a, um, uh, she's a social worker and she's, she's, she's been a great life coach for me in general. So I get a lot of that behavior, uh, learned from, from her and, and, and just the relationship that we have. That was, that was probably the smartest answer that anybody could have given to that question. That was really, that was very <laughs> slick. okay. So enough of you for a second. So Thor, Thor, welcome back, uh, for your, uh, this is an encore performance for you, uh, backed by popular demand. Oh man, actually, I'm really glad to be here today and, uh, always, always happy to be on your show. Yeah. Well, good. Well, I'm always happy to have you. So, um, uh, it just for you know, real quick for those who, who maybe missed the Epic episode that we did together a few months ago, I, I, are you still like the innovation guy at Avanade? Is that, is that your thing still? Yeah, that's kind of what it says on my door. Innovation guy. Uh, it's exactly right. No, yes, I'm, I'm leading our innovation <laughs> in the South and, um, I'm coming to you today from our beautiful innovation center here in Houston. And uh, first of all, big shout out, um, you know, to the CDC for getting rid of the mask guidelines for vaccinated people. Hooray! Yeah, <laughs> that's what it means. It is. Uh, it's a shocker, I know, but it's but it's uh, but it's good news. So uh, yeah, that's so you guys are just you guys are just wandering around over there uh, in like recklessly without masks. Is that what you're? Talking no, about? that is not how it works at all. We actually still close. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know how it is, right? Uh, the uh, CDC is, is given the guidelines and business is following close behind. I mean, we've been adhering to CDC guidelines with respect to our COVID response. So I'm, I'm very optimistic that it actually will accelerate our response. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, excellent, excellent, good. All right, so um, so for those of you who are more curious about Thor's background, you go back to listen to the, to, to the previous episode and there's a lot of good stuff in there about being in the German army and how, how you ended up over here doing all kinds of interesting things. So today though, um, uh, we get this, this colonial pipeline thing that just happened. Um, and, and, and so audience, when you're hearing this episode, this is one of those, this is one of those times when we are recording this one uh, just a few days before you're going to hear it. So it's going to be very timely. And, uh, so let's talk about it. Let's, um, and you guys are both, uh, kind of in this world. So what, first of all, maybe for some people who are still scratching their heads, um, what, what actually happened or didn't happen as the case may be, uh, cause it's sometimes hard to figure out based on the, on the news coverage. Well, Either one of you just like jump right in. We can just have yeah, a conversation. Absolutely. So we, there's not all that much we do know, but what, what we do know is that, uh, of course, on, uh, on May 7th, which was last Friday, Colonial uh, announced that they'd been subject to a ransomware attack. And uh, as kind of time went by, we, we discovered that actually uh, they were infiltrated by a, by a private hacker group out of, um, out of Eastern Europe. Um, and uh, the infiltration actually happened prior to last Friday, which has not made that much news, but I think it's really actually interesting and important. They, they, right, they got right. in a lot earlier, looked around, took their time. They actually, on Thursday, May 6th, um, uh, were able to download about 100 gigabytes of data out of Colonial's network. There was a story on, on Bloomberg on that, uh, how, how those hackers were able to, to get that out. And then on Friday, 
uh, they started the, uh, the ransomware attack, started encrypting uh, mostly uh, operational uh, systems, right? So the uh, the scope of the attack was um, EOP, HR uh, type of environments. It did not actually uh, extend into the operational technology network. So the uh, the actual right. equipment was um, was not affected. But so that so that's that's significant, right? Because um, uh, the 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 real danger that could be that could be uh, or the harm, the damage that could be done, and and Brandon, you can chime in on this, but but like the real danger is is if you do something in the OT systems, right? I mean, you can, I mean, there's only so much damage you can do on the IT side, but it's in the OT side that that if you were wanting to cause the world a problem, that's where you would do it. Is that isn't that right? Yeah, I think that's that's where we um, we we start thinking about you know loss of life and and, and dangerous outcomes, right? And quality control. Um, I you know I want to add another flavor onto what Thor said here. Um, the the ransomware events that that I've dealt with in the past, um, it, they they can take on multiple different flavors. And what what we've seen historically is that. Ransomware is typically something that happens at the end of the life cycle of the attack. It's not necessarily something that starts, you know, the week prior. And and to be honest, these types of attacks typically have many months in advance to um, that that they've been prepared for. They've even may have had access many months prior to this. Right. The symptoms that we see in in ransomware and that that's uh, we kind of call that almost like a tip at the door. They've already done what they wanted to do, and they're leaving the environment, and they want to get tipped on their way out. Just a yeah. bit of yeah, right. on this one. Uh, so there uh, was an article and data compiled by Temple University that sh- uh, that shows that there were 396, 396 ransomware attacks on critical infrastructure in 2020. That's a phenomenal amount, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean that. So, so how many in what in what year? Say that again. Uh, that was twenty twenty last year. Uh, Three hundred ninety six. Okay. So that's, yeah, that's that, like one per day. That's yeah. That's yeah. That's a ton. That's a whole bunch, right? And they don't. They don't. I mean, that's that's interesting because they don't all make the news, right? I mean, um, nah, they don't. Yeah, we don't. We don't hear about all of those. So um, that is, uh, yeah, that's. I mean, that's a whole industry unto itself. Mm-hmm ransomware right basically is what you're saying it is and 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 what what you have to think of is they they treat this as a business right they 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 look at these scenarios in front of it and they say you know if i if i place my bets right um where can i get my best return on investment and they if that motive or return on investment is great enough and the resources that the bad guys have uh you know have access to are enough, then these things, you know, are potentially not preventable. But what you can do is you can you can uh, drastically reduce the impact of the compromise, and and you know there's some things that you can do there to to help reduce that that impact. Yeah. Okay. Good. Interesting. So not preventable. So I want to. Yeah. I want to get to that. But let's let's back up and dive a little bit more into exactly what what did. So so I kind of I kind of took us off the rails uh, with uh, we were talking about what actually happened. Um, what else do we know about what they did? 
So once the uh, once the ransomware attack took place and the system started to be encrypted, uh, there was a demand made uh, by the hackers, and again there was a Bloomberg story on that um, that uh, there was uh, you know a demand for for payment. Well, that's why it's called ransomware, right? And it was right. five million. And um, so there was a deadline on it. Um, you know, you pay in so and so much so and so much time. Otherwise, we'll delete all of the stuff and release your data that we have of yours and you know all of this good stuff. Uh, and so Colonial actually decided to pay um, fairly early on uh, in the uh, in the process, um, and uh, uh, by being by paying the fee uh, to the hackers, they actually were able to uh, get the get the keys to unencrypt their uh, their random uh, their their ransomed systems. And uh, there was an interesting thing though that as they kind of started decrypting that. Um, the, what turns out is that the tool that the, the hackers provided to decrypt uh, the company uh, data was, was so slow that uh, the company actually decided to continue restoring from their backups uh, as opposed to continue. Oh, my God. Yeah. Right. Which they could have done from the beginning. I mean, which they could have just done. And, and yeah. yeah. And to some extent, you know, you got to. It's, it's easy here to sit and sure. hindsight and say, you know what, they shouldn't have paid. And then. Yeah, they shouldn't have paid. But you know, it's it, put yourself in the shoes of the guy who, who's sitting there having to make this decision, right? You, you you got this pipeline, it's supplying, you know, I don't know how many states with gas. You know, so you, you are gonna be the one that's deciding, well, what, what am I gonna do, right? Am I gonna take am I gonna take this thing down, leave it down for like an extended period of time? Do I'm gonna am I gonna pay the fee? Can I actually even recover from backup? Yeah. Right? So so he made a call, uh, or, or she for that matter best as they could at that point in time. And so it's, sure, it's a second sure. guess. But the unfortunate side effect, of course, is whenever you do pay those hackers, that ransom, yeah. you're validating that business model. Back to back to Brandon's point, this is a business. In most cases, yeah. it's a business, right? And so as long as uh, as long as we, we give in to these demands and we pay, that business is going to continue because we constantly... Yeah, right, right. right. Yeah. And, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And just to add there quickly, just because you paid and now you've got access to these keys doesn't mean that they've left your environment. Oh, you yeah. still have to do the due diligence to get them right, out of the environment. That's a very good point. That's a good point. You know, um, so this whole thing about they were already there earlier and, and they could still be there. Um, I mean, this is not, this isn't really new, right? I mean, I remember talking with, um, back in my consulting days and talking with, um, CIOs of some sizable oil and gas companies who, um, who had discovered by hiring, you know, various security consultants that, that, yeah, they're, the people have been here. They've, they've, they've been in your systems. They've been, um, you know, they've been over here and they've been over there. And, um, and you have to be, you know, you really have to be careful how you, um, how you cut them off because at that point it becomes kind of a contest. Right. Mm -hmm. And if, and if, and if you, and if, if it's the C team and you, and you kick them out, then they send the B team in. And if you get, and if you defeat those guys, then they send the A team in. you don't want the A team yeah. in there. So, um, so these are, uh, I mean, so just ransomware is just kind of like the monetization of this whole thing. Right. But the, but the techniques, um, are, are things that, you know, we've understood for quite a while and they are, and it is quite a challenge. Well, I think you've uh, also got other motives too, right? So you're seeing the ransomware because that's very loud. There may be, um, cyber espionage. There may be other things going on 
And then they've done, they've, they've gone in and gone out. I mean, there could be multiple teams in here, right? And then they sell that access to somebody else. This happens all the time. We've got, we've gone into these where wow. we yeah. found three different, three different groups or evidence of three different groups in there. And, you know, only hands on keyboard from one of those group. Um, so it, it's normal for the life cycle of these attacks to, you've got a team that gets in and they're good at getting in and that's what they do. Maybe they do that through yeah. a phishing campaign or whatnot. Then they, right, then they right. pass off that access. They sell it to somebody else to, to do something, right? Whatever their motive is. And then yeah. when they're done, then they yeah. sell it again. So it really, it really, it is a whole industry, like with a like with a life cycle and a value chain and everything, almost right. I mean, it's uh, that's it really amazing. Is. That's amazing. Okay, so let's um, let so I got to ask this question because um, um, and I know how you guys are going to answer this question, but I, I got to ask it anyway because it's <laughs> interesting. Um, you know, we've been um, th- there's a classic situation in uh, these OT you know, in the parts of the industry where we have OT environments. So it could be pipelines and midstream could also be refineries, could be certain parts of upstream. We have this, right. There's always been this, um, you know, historically this separation, um, of those systems where they're off on their own and they're not connected to anything. And the operators are, you know, in a separate, like, um, and we did all that for reasons of security and safety and things like that. And then here during this, uh, digital transformation thing that everybody is so, uh, uh, hell bent on. Right. And I'm, I'm being tongue in cheek here. Right. But now we want to have it OT convergence, which is, you know, which the OT folks, they put up a fight for quite a while. They finally gave in. Okay, fine. Connect all your, all your little gizmos so you can pull out all this data and send it to the cloud, but don't blame me if some something goes wrong. Right. Um, and here we go. Something went wrong. And so is there, you know, is this sort of like a, a bad omen that says, you know, all of this, uh, all this connecting of everything to other networks and the internet that we've been doing had, you know, is maybe not such a good idea because look what now look what's happening. Right. Is, uh, well, how, how, how should, let, let's put that in context and how should we think about that? Um, I, I do have a perspective on that. Uh, so first of all, I think it's very important to point out that uh, there is no evidence whatsoever that uh, th- this attack on Colonial has reached their OT uh, OT network. And by the way, for for the listeners that maybe uh, are not familiar with that term, OT is operational technology. And uh, right, think about right. it in terms of the SCADA systems, uh, the PLCs, all of this good stuff. Right, it's all right. actual uh, equipment and machinery. So yeah. So, so, but I want to, so I want to have a, a brief counterpoint to what you just said, right? Because, which is, um, uh, if, okay, fine, they didn't get into the OT systems, but if the executives of Colonial Pipeline were not concerned, they wouldn't have, like, so if they were only in the IT systems, if we knew they couldn't get into the OT systems because the OT systems are physically separate, then we wouldn't have worried and we wouldn't have paid the money, right? The reason why they shut everything down was because there's a risk. Oh, now they've gotten in over here. What if they get in over here? They right? didn't have I mean, the they, confidence. Well, yeah, I, I don't think you can make that assumption because, you know, they could also <laughs> have paid the money just to get the data back because maybe they're back. Okay. Yeah, fair, I, enough. I think it's, fair enough. It's too easy to jump to that conclusion. The other thing I would say to this is, look, you know, there's a reason why um, you know, obviously, it, it, innovation guy, right? There's a, there's a reason why we want to have that convergence of IT and OT, and that is because uh, you know things like uh, you know digital twin uh, type uh, systems require 
that access, that real-time access to that data and require the ability to interact with those systems to get to those uh, efficiencies and improvements uh, on the um, on that, that we are that we are after with with IoT with digital twin and all, all of these technologies and if you if you cut that cord and then, then you can't do that and so there's a, I think there's a risk reward scenario that you have to look at um, you know and uh, you have to protect yourself there's no question about it and there are strategies like waterfall strategies things like that that uh, that you can deploy and um, and put in place to reduce and minimize the risk of an attack that's in your IT space spilling over into your uh, into your OT space. Yeah, yeah. So that so 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 the risk reward thing that you mentioned. I mean, that's important, right? Is is um, we are um, if we if these things that um, these digital. Uh, think the things that the capabilities that the digital age is bringing about, like you mentioned, digital twins and and all of these other things. If they're really bringing the value, and for a while we've been saying that that the industry is, these aren't just uh, this isn't just a nice to have. That if the industry wants to survive, these are the kinds of things that we need to be able to do. So um, so the so the reward. And you guys are seeing it, right? I mean, you're working with clients and you're seeing people like this isn't just a pipe dream being able to use digital twins to run your operations, you know, to, to make things safer and cleaner and more. Yeah. I mean, this is this is really happening, right? People yeah, are really. actually accomplishing this. Oh, yeah. So so what we do here in this space is we we have to think of it from security terms. You You look at reducing the attack surface. So. Um, the way that I look at this is very, you know, similar to the way that you proposed it is having that high level of segregation between the IT and the OT environments. But where you have to have exceptions, you mitigate that risk by reducing that attack surface and only have it very focused on those activities that you need to have. Yeah. So... So that sounds like a consulting engagement right there. <laughs> it, uh, yeah, it really is. <laughs> also, also, in many ways, a, a lot easier said than actually done, right? Um, mm-hmm. Because sure, sure. Increasingly, yeah. I mean, think about this. Increasingly, it, it's not. It is not necessarily that everything is also controlled by the owner operator any longer, right? Increasingly, um, suppliers, um, original equipment manufacturers, build the uh, build the requirement to be connected. Into their products, and you can't just turn it off, right? Right. right. Uh, and so, you know, that, that opens a hole. You know, to that point of attack service that Brand mentioned, that's a real big concern. How do we get? How do we get a handle on on that attack service? Right. How do we? Uh, how do we, for example, make sure that uh, an, an update to firmware that you might be applying over the air to a piece of uh, equipment, in fact, comes from the provider of that equipment and not from a middleman? That has implemented right. some malicious code into that firmware, right? Right, that's compromised, right? That's right. Um, yeah. So, it, it, which actually, so you get into a good point here, which, and we're we're kind of moving into the what should companies do about this, which is uh, which is really the next question, and and um, you know there there are a lot of um, there are a lot of products out, you know, all as, as all the various suppliers of technology, hardware, and software are all kind of flocking around this ITOT convergence um, objective, you know, you hear a lot of people, the advertising is, oh, security is already built in um, to this 
particular type of server, this particular, uh, you know, uh, like in- infrastructure code or whatever, um, or these applicate or these, you know, uh, and, oh, well, we've got micro segmentation and we support that and we support the, the, all the security models. But is there such a thing as just buying the right stuff that has the security built in and then is, and then we don't have to worry about it? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know what the answer to that question is, but like, it's it, if you if you sort of read the advertising, that's what you might think, right? Is that well, it's the security's built in. Like, like yeah. what's the reality there? I I think I think what we've been seeing is, um, you know, if I could if I could say any anything here, reducing complexity in the security space and looking for opportunities to optimize that portfolio of security products with platform plays is something that we've seen a lot of going from uh, best of breed where they're highly segmented and, 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 and not necessarily talking to each other very well to something that, you know, makes more sense from an efficiency and operational perspective where you've got uh, a platform play such as like, yeah. you know, Microsoft right. Azure or something like that. That's got all these products that are highly integrated and built to work with each other versus yeah. having, you know, something doing this over here and something doing this over here and you know left's not talking to the right yeah yeah because then that's when you get you you can end up with all these little gaps right that can be exploited i will say i will say Um, this though the sometimes i think we are we are looking for technology uh to be the the panacea and it's not mm -hmm. right because uh, technology can get you a long way to prevent and uh, attacks reduce your attack surface but a lot of the really really successful attacks have come because of the human element, not because of technology. Yeah, sure, I'm, sure. I'm really, I'm really glad to hear you say that. Um, and that, that actually, if you don't mind, it kind of takes me back to that IT versus OT. You've got this IT environment that's very, very dynamic because you've got an absorbent number of users in that environment, right? Mm-hmm. And they're mm-hmm. doing all these things. We talk about social engineering all the time, and and the, the threat of the user itself, right? Right. Well, why would you risk having all of that dynamic nature attached to something that's very much more static and point and purpose built? Um, and that's mm. that's kind of where we draw that line in the middle and say we should still have it separated. But how do we solve for these these scenarios where we still want to be able to do these things like digital twin, like Tor was talking about? Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, that's, it's really interesting, Brandon. You're saying that because, and, and I do agree with you on this, right? I mean, absolutely, right? You've got to, yes. Um, but you know, I'm I'm, I'm going to talk at a conference about digital twin a little bit later on uh, in the month. And um, I, I, looking at the agenda, you know, it's all about data. It's all about uh, you know how how do we use all of this wonderful data we have coming off these um, of these sensors and of these uh, of these data sources to to optimize our operations, things like that. You know, it's but very few people really. Look at the security aspects, the attack service aspects. Um, you know, in the context of the digital twin discussion, I think that's a really big risk as well, right? I think we need to broaden out some of these discussions to to be more proactive about taking the security implications into account. Yeah. yeah. Well, and something that makes the the in some in some contexts the digital twin thing becomes more complex because you in this industry in oil and gas oftentimes we have multiple companies working 
together on an asset, right? To develop an asset or a project or whatever. Um, you've got you got the operator plus you got the the, the contractors and you got the EPC companies and you got the right. And so, um, and as soon as you start wanting to do a digital twin, let's say for uh, like like subsea uh, design and engineering. Um, and to construct, uh, you know, something, um, you know, uh, uh, an offshore platform. Um, well, there's a whole bunch of players involved and they all, and the digital twin, needs to incorporate data from, so now, so now everybody's getting involved, has to be able to participate in the digital twin, um, in a secure way that, uh, with a lot of moving pieces. So, um, so how do, does that, does that, that, I know that makes creates complications in terms of data security because I only want to share. I don't want you to be able to see my stuff inside the twin and da da da. But does that also? Uh, what are, what are the infrastructure security implications when we start trying to do these things across companies? Yeah. Um, so what what we try to converge on is controlling what we can control. Um, so if you think about it in the terms of like, it seems obvious, yeah, yeah. (laughs) supply, supply chain, uh, attacks and things that we've seen also this year, um, that have, that have really popped up. Um, you know, it's just more awareness. These things have been happening for a while, but who, who's to say this vendor that's coming in to do that firmware update for you on whatever product, what, what did he do right before he he joined your network and tried to do that. You yeah, can't control yeah. what's on his laptop that he's making that connection in. You right. can control his connection and make sure he gets in. But how do you how do you wrap process or technology controls around that and control that bit? It it gets challenging for sure, but there 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 are definitely methods of putting that process plus plus technology control together to to shape that outcome. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, yeah, you're getting into something that basically means we need a good design. Um, but I want to also, I want to back up to something cause you mentioned a couple times now, all of the many attacks, like these things are increasing in frequency. And also, um, Thor, you mentioned right at the very beginning that in this case of colonial pipeline, it was a private party. Um, as opposed to a state actor. So I want to wade into something that might be a little bit controversial here, but what, um, at, at what point is, uh, there's a lot of talk about, should the government do something? Should the government not like it? Do, do we, how, how do, how does, how do, you know, large corporations and potentially national governments, cooperate to try to, uh, or, or should, or should we try to cooperate? What, how, how do you guys see that uh, playing out? Well, I think there's definitely a case to be made here. Uh, and, and I don't think it's just large corporations in the government. I think it's, we need a, we need a, a public private partnership. But if you, if you think about it, you know, even in this case, uh, there, there have been reports, uh, that I have read about, um, about this this company or this this hacker group uh, infiltrating colonial being uh, at least to some level affiliated with the state uh, with the state actor so you know if you have those level of resources that is driving those attacks then you you have to you have to think about you know, pro- providing the same level of commitment and resources to stopping it. And I think that, uh, you know, this is a situation where, you know, we have a government, a federal government, to protect this country. Many right. And I think it is not hard to make the case that this has been an attack on our country by an enemy. 
And, uh, you know, and in fact, that could potentially cripple a significant piece and has crippled a significant piece of infrastructure. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm not a big government guy by, by any stretch. But, uh, you know, defending this country is part of the federal government's responsibility. And I think that there is definitely a case to be made to, uh, to have a broad uh, private-public partnership to help companies to prepare yeah. and defend against those attacks because this is not easy and it's not cheap. And I'm, I'm yeah. actually less yeah. worried about the large companies who can put the resources behind it, but what about the, the many, many of hundreds and thousands of smaller players Right, they don't sure, have those sure. resources, but that are that yet are part, integral part of these supply chains of these networks. Yeah. And once you infiltrate them, it becomes so much easier. Yeah, I mean, you make a good you make a good point, which is if you get if you don't get hung up on the 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 particulars of who's who and what's what in the abstract. The, it's an attack on the country, right? It's an attack on the infrastructure of the country, um, and 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 that and that is, um, I mean, it 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 it, it would requ- it needs that type of a response, right? Absolutely. Um, I think we yeah, have to kind of yeah. put aside our uh, you know whatever partisan partisan divide we might have, and and look at this truly as this isn't this is a potential existential threat. Right. I just remember the stocks next thing that, that, that happened in Iran a few years ago where right, uh, right. You know, an, an, an attack actually physically took, uh, you know, a, a bunch of pieces of equipment out of commission. The same thing could have potentially happened here if, uh, if a hacker does obtain control, particularly on the, on the operational technology side of the network, you can cause a spill. Yeah, you can sure. cause an explosion. You can cause an unsafe operating condition that that leads to uh, loss of life. So we have to take this really, really serious. I think. Yeah, I. It, it, I mean, it's, it is an interesting point. Um, I mean, it's it's a bit of a of a uh, cartoon ish example, but uh, we all saw that. Or maybe we didn't all see. Maybe we stopped watching by the time it got to four or five or whatever. But that that Die Hard movie, right, where they had the fire sale and they shut down all the all the all the traffic lights and the and the electricity and all that. Um, you know, it's it's sort of sensationalized in Hollywood, but um, you know it, 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 that that is considered to be an attack on the country and on the people. Mm-hmm. So. You'd, yeah. you'd be surprised. <laughs> We're only hearing less than one percent of what's actually going on. And, yeah, uh, yeah. And, you know, I'm hopeful that you know the things that we're learning from this pipeline attack, you know, will evoke change and and really bring around around the the right level of awareness for the situation they're actually in. Right. I think I think the strategies and the platforms, the tools, all of that stuff, we you know those things are out there to properly mitigate from these types of events. Um, and, but, you know, companies are only going to do as much as they uh, are required to do, right? They're not going to spend millions of dollars over and above that regulation or compliance checkbox that they have to have to do the right thing. And it's the, I think it's the government's job to kind of help them tie that to true risk mitigation to drive down that, um, that, that, that possibility of, of um, the, the attacks. 
Yeah, yeah. So, so, and so, let's talk about that for a second. The Milton, because, the Milton Friedman and me just is crying out loud, right? Yeah. <laughs> is it? Okay. Yes. <laughs> so, so, um, but Brandon, you just made a, uh, you just commented on um, getting past the kind of the regulatory uh, checkbox, and 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 we actually um, we were actually chatting about this a little bit before we before we turn the microphones on. But let's let's look because, and I, I do want to give some people who, if they're listening to this, some sort of practical um, guidance while we're busy waiting for a broad strategic private public partnership to fight the enemy. But, um, you know, regulatory compliance and actual misgritigation might not be exactly the same thing, I think is what you're getting at. Right. That's exactly right. I would say that whoever is responsible for risk in the organization should have the ear of the board and that they can correlate that cyber risk to actual business risk. It's overall risk at this point. Yeah. 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 The other thing, the other thing that is, is if you kind of look at it from a risk perspective, you, you take a reasonable, you take reasonable steps to mitigate that risk. Right. But, uh, it is just a mitigation, it's not an elimination. And so you got to be prepared for the event to happen as well. Yep. And, and you have to right. really think about just like any other emergency, right? And uh, our, you know, our industry is doing that a lot. You know, we, we are prepared to deal with yeah. the emergency that might happen. God forbid it will, but if it does happen, we are prepared and we have the emergency response plans to put in place to deal with an explosion, to deal with a spill, to right. whatever, right? In the same way, right. we have to look at the risk that's commensurate with an, um, an, an, an cyber attack. And we have to have a mitigation plan in place, a response plan in place, that so that we exactly know what to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, I mean, it's um, yeah, it's just it's just like planning. I mean, this you're right. This is an industry which is knows all about risk assessment, planning for risk, um, you know, trying to flush out, you know, understand what are the uncertainties and what are the possible outcomes. Um, what do you guys, um, so, uh, and, and for those who, who aren't familiar, Avanade is a large international uh, uh, consulting firm and uh, w- with a great reputation, I might add, and I know you have lots of, of um, lots of happy clients all around the world. So if, if I were, um, you know, some CEO, I don't know, named like Vicky or something like that. Um, and I came to you and I said, Hey, I don't think, all right, I have to backtrack because I, I know, I, I know of no information that tells me anything about anybody's company that they're not ready. I, I'm just, I'm just throwing out a, a, an example. But if I said, I don't think we're like, I know we've checked all the boxes, but I feel like we haven't really, um, you know, done, like, we're not really ready. We're not really in good shape. What would, wh- where would you start with them? Like, what's the, what does that engagement look like in terms of how do you, how do you take somebody, um, you know, from where they are to where they want to be in that case? Yeah, I'll go, I'll go ahead and take that one. Um, you know, there, there's a couple of different schools of thought there. I think one, um, you know, we, we like to, to, you know, if it's a company that we've been working with for some time, we, we, we obviously know some of the, the where the skeletons are, if you, if you will. Um, and if it's a net new company for us that we, we don't have that relationship with, uh, we like to really start those off with uh, some kind of assessment or even, 
even better yet, like in the security space, a tabletop exercise where we kind of walk through to make sure that they are ready for an, an event like this and how would they respond and what kinds of tools do they have? And, and then we would give them a score based off of that and provide maybe a roadmap of, of what we feel like they should be, where, where they should be at and how to get there. Yeah. I like, so tabletop exercise sounds good because nobody likes the A word anymore. You know, yeah. um, it sounds like assessment sounds like uh, yeah, but you go away, you do a bunch of stuff and then you come back and you dump this like stack of paper on my desk. And, uh, and what am I really paying and, for? And, and say, thank you very much. Uh, that will, that will be five digits. Um, and, um, you know, or more, uh, so, but tabletop exercise. So what, what is, so what does that look like? I'm, I'm actually curious myself. Like, what does that look like? Yeah, it so sounds, it sounds less painful is what I'm saying. It, it, it's, it's uh it's it's actually quite neat. So tabletop uh comes from like tabletop games like Dungeons and Dragons and things, right? So you've got like your dungeon I've, master. I've heard of those, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> that that sits there and kind of coordinates and, and, and orchestrates the scenario. And we agree beforehand with the leadership what that scenario would be. And then we sit down with the teams in real time and we kind of walk through this scenario of how I am I'm playing as an attacker. We can play as an attacker. And then you have another team of, of folks that are consulting with the defenders and how that would go back and forth. And, and, and it helps us learn how, where they're at maturity wise and how they would respond, you know, what kinds of tools they have. They would then, you know, use those tools to look up different things and so on and so forth. So we kind of play this out over a, a, a number of hours and then, and then, you know, see, see how far we get. And it's interesting. It's not yeah. necessarily like a red team, right? I was more, just going to say, yeah, like, is this like, this sounds much cooler than blue team, red team. Sounds more user-friendly. It is. It, I mean, red team is that the company doesn't know that this is coming. There's a contract right. done with leadership and then they just, they show up one day and start making stuff happen. And it, it, yeah. it almost feels like it's a real scenario. Right. This is more of a, like let's hold hands and sing kumbaya and and uh, and walk through this together. Yeah, interesting, interesting, good. So so from there, um, it, so so the from there, I, I would guess that you're kind of able to flush out where you know where the potential gaps are, what are the priorities. Back to Thor's point about about risk and reward. Um, it's very difficult to make a decision about risk versus reward unless you actually know what is the risk that you're dealing with and you know what is the potential you know the reward uh, otherwise you know you're just kind of uh you're imagining you know that you, that you know something that, that you don't that that's right yeah yeah so good so this is uh this is great hopefully um i think uh, i'm looking at the i'm watching the clock here i think i think last time thor and i did an episode together we we just like went off for a really long time. So I'm going to try to reel it in, but <laughs> is, is there, if somebody, um, uh, Oh, we also had that whole thing where the, like the recorder shut off, right? Yeah, Remember the batteries died and we had to start yeah. over. Audience knew nothing about that. We cleaned all that up in post, but it was a bit of a circus for a few minutes. Okay. So if, uh, if, if somebody wants to, uh, if they want to know more about uh, what you guys are doing about this subject, what Avanaz is doing, what you guys are doing individually, um, where where do we want to send them to look? LinkedIn, LinkedIn is always good. Uh, our company website is always good. But yeah, if you want to get in touch with us, you know, with, with myself, with Brandon, just you know, use our link 
LinkedIn. Hit us up on LinkedIn, and uh, we'll uh, we'll start the discussion. I, I do want to make one thing very clear, though. You know, to you know, we, we've been talking about colonial here a lot today. This is not a colonial problem. I just want to be very, very clear on this, right? This yeah, is, that's a good point. Good point. Everybody, this could have happened to yep. everybody. Uh, so yep, don't, yep. don't don't be don't be in that false sense of you know what this could not happen to me. Yeah, it can. Yeah, yeah. There's. I mean, these guys are not. Uh, they're running one of the largest pipelines uh, in North America. They're not amateurs over there, right? They're. Uh, you know, they didn't. They didn't just like show up yesterday. They. They. Uh, if it could happen to them, it could happen to to virtually anybody. Yeah, and that, the, exactly right. Like we, the the customers that we work with are the largest organizations in the world. Every one of these customers that we go into with one of these types of events, um, they all suffer from similar things because it's very complex. And these are complex organizations with varying degrees of maturity in their postures. And it's just, it's very challenging and it's hard to stay focused on the things that matter most. Sure. Yeah, that that I could see that. Absolutely. Because there are so many complexities and we do have an industry that I mean, I talk about this all the time because people on that. I mean, sometimes people from outside oil and gas, outside energy don't have an appreciation for the real uh, size and complexity of, you know, the entire value chain, the whole life cycle, everything that goes from getting, you know, hydrocarbons out of the ground into your gas tank. It's, is it's like, I don't really know of anything else from an industry standpoint that is as complex and, uh, and enormous as, as that is. So I, I can only imagine if I'm a security person, you guys have got your, I mean, clearly you, you got your hands full. Does it, does it, does it stack up to anything? Like, is there anything else that's this big and complicated that you know of? Oh, I think, um, I think any manufacturing is yeah, extremely sure. complicated because you've got that IT and OT. I think also retail, um, uh, from the point of sale side, you kind of think of those point of sale machines as a similar, like an OT. Oh yeah, that's a good point. Right. So, right, yeah, so yeah, you yeah. always want to have that separation there. So we see this very much where you've got this operational technology that needs to be running all the time and it can't go down, or there's a lot of dollars going out the door and not many coming in, versus the productivity side of the house and the IT space that keeps the lights on and runs the business. Um, it's anytime you've got two of two different sides of that coin, it's always going to be extremely complex. Yeah, no, that's a good point. So, and that comes around to something else that we've been saying a lot lately, which is, um, unlike maybe in times past, uh, people in the oil and gas industry can learn a lot from people in other industries. And I think that there's more, um, much more openness to that now. So hopefully you guys, as you go around and work with different clients, you're able to introduce, you know, kind of cross pollinate some of the good practices and and lessons learned and things that, that come from, come from other industries. All right. What, uh, it, I mean, I, I wrapped up a few minutes ago, so is there anything else you guys want to say <laughs> before we, we sign off? Uh, 
<laughs> we, we already did the how do people find out more thing. Uh, any other, any other Thor, any other like parting, uh, uh, parting wisdom before we, because uh, I, I have a, I have a few things I need to say to wrap up the show, but I can, I can, uh, I can get you guys on your way here in just a minute. I would say keep innovating and be safe out there. Be safe out there. Excellent. All right. Thank you. Uh, so Thor Schuler and uh, Brandon, Brandon, I forgot your last name. <laughs> Oh, thanks for that. Brandon Nolan. Brandon Nolan. Brandon Nolan. Yes, Brandon. I'm sorry. I was it was at the top of my notes and I had it's already a very Irish name. It is. Brandon Brandon. Yeah, I I uh I'm familiar with Irish names. So Thor and Brandon, thank you guys for uh for making time today, jumping on this uh this uh this is kind of uh we threw this together very quickly so that we could get this uh, and be timely with what's going on. So appreciate you guys making time. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. And that is going to wrap it up for today, folks. Well, it's going to almost wrap it up because I do have to say my customary closeout, uh, which entails the following. And I'm going to make it fast because I know we're running long on time. But thanks again to our sponsor, Cognite. If you don't know about them, you need to know about them. Check out Cognite.com or, like I said, if you want to go right to the really good stuff, make data do more at Cognite.com. We do appreciate them sponsoring the show, but we also really admire the work that they're doing. So have a look there. Also, if you haven't joined our street team yet, then join our street team. They're doing fun stuff. It's a great way to get involved in the industry, do stuff with OGGN, uh, make friends, and uh, you know, just have generally like some some goodness in your life. So, check out the Street Team. You can find it on LinkedIn. There is a group. Look for OGGN. Look for Street Team, and look for this guy, Brian Mahn, M A H N. You can find him. He is the fearless leader of our Street Team, and he's doing a great job. So, take a look at that. Last couple of things. Uh, I already told you about all the shows, so don't forget about that. Go to OGGN.com as soon as you're uh, done listening to me. You've probably already stopped listening to me. But anyway, go to OGGN.com. Check out the new shows. And one final note is a special thanks to our new audio magician, Mr. Mac Roman, who has uh, brought his skills to the team here. Uh, we're growing so big that we've had to add more people. So, you know, I always used to thank Emin Fickich, and he still is doing a fantastic job. But this show is being handled by Mac Roman, so thanks to him. And now the very next thing that you are going to hear uh, after the music is Savannah Wilson with our events on deck. Hey, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the events on deck for May 2021. This month, we have four events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our online events newsletter. We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. First up, we have our in-person event, which is the 20 YPO's networking mixer at the Houston Club on May 25th. Next, we have our three online events, the Post-Industrial Summit Series from May 4th to June 22nd, the Data Fabric and Data Ops webinar on May 5th, and the Maritime Career Day hosted by Women Offshore on May 21st. Other than these events, OGGN has a live stream this month titled Identifying and Evaluating Advantaged Oil Projects on May 5th. So make sure to check that out on our Facebook, LinkedIn, or OGGN.com for more information. You can also find more information about that or any of the live streams or events we have coming up also on Facebook, LinkedIn, or OGGN.com. If you have any questions about these events or any of our shows, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for May. I hope you guys have a great month, and thanks for tuning in. 
Check us out next week for another entertaining and yet useful episode of Oil & Gas Tech Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.